The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Asanius was tetrarch of Abilene, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding road shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. You and I live in time. I don't know how often we think about that. We live in time. Time is passing. Again, we may not reflect on it often, but we are aware of it. You know, Aristotle defined time as the measure of motion according to prior and posterior. Only those things move that are made up of parts. And things that are made up of parts we call matter. So time and matter exist together. Without matter, there would be no time. But you and I are in time and in place, too, aren't we? Right now. We live in time. We live in a place. We don't just exist. We exist here in Raleigh, North Carolina, at roughly 11.49 in the morning. We are here. That's important. Very important. It was important to St. Luke in writing his gospel to place the events that were taking place in time. The past is gone. We can do nothing about it. The future is not yet. It may never happen. We are here now. And so St. Luke places this event, the event of the incarnation, the event of John the Baptist, in time. So that we would know, even though it took place 2,000 years ago, it was in time as we are, and we can relate to it as something that actually happened in place in time. Something real. Notice how he does it. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, time, place, Roman Empire, 
when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. That's a place, that's a time. You know, the high priesthood in Israel was hereditary. Rather, pardon me, was by chosen, and it was for life. But the Romans didn't like that, so they made it only for a period of time. And when Annas was finished being high priest, then they appointed his son-in-law, Caiaphas. That's a place in time. That's when all this is taking place. And it's in this that we encounter John the Baptist as a real figure in a real place in a real time. And we are told that the word of God came to John, who doesn't just exist, but exists now, and who he is and where he came from. He didn't fall out of the sky. John, the son of Zechariah. The son of Zechariah. John the Baptist was a priest. The priesthood was hereditary. His father was a priest, Zechariah. In fact, he was functioning as a priest in the temple when the archangel Gabriel appeared to him to announce the birth of John. Remember, he didn't believe the angel. He doubted the angel. Generally speaking, my friends, if an archangel appears to you and tells you something, it's good to believe it. Uh, Because he was struck dumb until the birth of John the Baptist as a punishment. The Blessed Mother didn't doubt for a minute, but she wanted information she didn't understand. So she asked an innocent question. How can this be? She believed, but she wanted to know how, and so she was told. She didn't doubt the way Zechariah did. And then we are told that not only is he the son of Zechariah and a priest, although we never hear of him exercising his priesthood. We never hear of him offering sacrifice in the temple. All we know is that he was in the desert. In the desert. That's where he prepared, by, that's where he met God alone in the desert. So we never hear of him offering sacrifice. And I'm sure he never did, because his job was to point out the sacrifice, the one that would make all the temple sacrifices obsolete. He would be the sacrifice. And that was John's whole mission in life, was to point him out. And when he appears, our Lord, when our Lord appears, John the Baptist doesn't say, look, there is Jesus Christ. No, he says, behold the Lamb of God, the sacrifice who has come into the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Redeemer who through his sacrifice will save us from our sins. So that's his job. He comes out of the desert. That's important too, the desert. We all should spend time in the desert. We all need to be alone with the alone, as they say, alone with God, on a daily basis. And you may say, it's easy for you to say because you've got the time to do it. Well, but obviously I have a time to do that. I'm supposed to. But we all have some time, five, ten minutes. I mean, most of us at least waste that much time during the course of a day that we could spend alone with God. It was only after being alone in the desert that he then can come out and do what he was supposed to do. That was his preparation for what was to come. And you and I then are called to that too. So he went doing what? He went around preaching repentance because repentance is the beginning of it all. Remember I said last year at this time that I would like to take the words in God we trust off of our currency and replace it with repent. Uh, We really ought to do, we need that. Uh, Remember 
I mentioned the story of St. Nicholas the Wanderer. He was a simple young man who came from Greek, Greece to Italy. He just wore a tunic of wool. And he went through Italy holding a crucifix in one hand and shouting, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, as we did at the beginning of Mass. And I said I thought we should have everybody, every town should have somebody like that. Anyway, the words repent, that's the beginning. That's how we began the Mass, with repentance. Because only with repentance is there then conversion. And only with conversion then is there real love. Only then is there real prayer. So conversion is the beginning of it all. And the deeper the conversion, the deeper the love. I was reading this week a great spiritual writer who said, if we only understood that, the deeper the conversion, the deeper the love, there would be no more divorces. They also said that's true with convents and rectories. The deeper the conversion, the deeper the love. The more perfect the conversion, the more perfect the love. So that's, that's what he's calling all of us into, is that conversion. But look what he was on to say. He quotes Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. We are all supposed to be doing this. What, what, what really is conversion? He says, make straight his paths. We all have crooked paths in our lives. Somewhere we may not know them, but we may. Every valley shall be filled. We all have valleys in our lives, too. Empty places that shouldn't be, that are empty of God. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. We have obstacles, too, to God's grace, don't we? That need to be leveled, as he describes it. Winding roads shall be made straight. And rough ways, and we all have them, made smooth. So he's describing conversion to us. We're all supposed to be experiencing this conversion to prepare for the coming of the one who is to come. That's what it's all about, as we are doing daily. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God, as we will. We are preparing for him. And so conversion is essential. It's it's an ongoing thing. We have to do it because he's about to come in a few minutes. He's about to be present. So we have to experience that repentance and that conversion, that new love and deeper prayer as he comes to us. That is such a basic concept for all of us, that reality. So we will do that now. We have repented. We are in the process of conversion, a daily thing. Uh, And we now open ourselves up to the one who comes.